today and next week, um, kind of a short sermon series on the compassion of God and how we come into um, the light of God's compassion as an invitation for us to be compassionate to ourselves. This week, um, we're going to be in Psalm 103 for the reading of Scripture. So if you have a Bible with you and you'd like to read along, please do so. If you would like to stand for the reading of Scripture, I invite you to do that as well. As has been our practice um, for a little while now anyway, we are asking um, different congregants to read the Scripture for us. And today, our reader is Isaiah Mahal. Psalm 103, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget this good things that he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things and youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who is treated unfairly. He reveals his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfaithful love. He will not consistently accuse us now or remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards who fear him is as great as the height of heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows who, how weak we are. He remembers we, we were only dust. Our days on earth are, are like grass. With wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we have never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever and with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children, of those who are faithful to his covenant and those who obey his commands. The Lord has made the heavens his throne, and there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plan. Listen for each other for his commands. Yes, praise the Lord and armies, you armies of angels and who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Isaiah, thank you. May God bless the reading of God's word. And would you pray with me? God, you are gracious and compassionate slow to anger, rich in love. Amen. You may be seated. I have a, a movie scene that's burned into my mind. I've shared this before. It comes from the 1991 movie regarding Henry. The movie is about a man named Henry, played by Harrison Ford. He's a high-powered New York City lawyer who loses his memory after a shooting incident, and his life is deeply changed. There's a scene early on in the movie, before Henry loses his memory, and the family is eating breakfast, and uh, his daughter spills her juice all over the table, and it's running onto the floor. Henry becomes agitated by this. He huffs and he puffs. He turns to his little girl. He snaps at her. You need to be more careful, he says. 
and he leaves in anger. Sometime after this, Henry suffers a head injury. He undergoes intense physical therapy. He has to learn how to walk again. He has to learn how to talk again. He has to learn how to hold a fork. He has to learn how to write write with a pen. He has to learn how to hold a cup of juice. Eventually, Henry makes enough progress that he's allowed to return home, a scary proposition for Henry. He doesn't remember his wife or his daughter. One morning at home, the family's eating breakfast again, and the little girl spills her juice all over the table. She looks up at her dad, nervous about how he will respond. And the dad looks at her, with no more memory of the previous incident, and he says to her, that happens to me all the time. And he knocks over his cup of juice. God loves you as you are, not as you should be. No one is as they should be. Many of us are hard on ourselves. We look in the mirror, we don't like what we see, figuratively or literally. We compare our weight with magazine models. We compare our bank accounts with the rich, the comfortable. We compare our families. We compare our happiness against the photos of other people's vacations. We compare our faith with those who are put together, shinier marriages, wiser parenting. And eventually, shame sets in. We feel like failures, um, like we maybe we feel worthless. Why do we even try? In her book, Self-Compassion, Dr. Kristen Neff hits the nail on the head when she writes, what counts as good enough seems always to remain frustratingly out of reach. We have to be smart and fit and fashionable and interesting and successful and sexy. Oh, and spiritual, too. We beat ourselves up. How can anyone possibly be above average in all these things? And yet, we receive that message at every turn. This is how you should be. Those are the things you should do. We wonder why we don't have it all figured out. How can I be so dumb? What I want to talk about this week and next week is the importance of self-compassion. That is, the practice of extending kindness and grace to ourselves. It's a powerful practice and one that is anchored in the character of God. Now, by self-compassion, I do not mean narcissism. I do not mean an overinflated sense of self-importance. I do not even mean self-esteem. Self-esteem, right? The idea that you can be confident in your own importance and abilities. That's not what I mean by self-compassion. By self-compassion, I mean extending kindness and grace to ourselves in the midst of our human frailty and failings. By self-compassion, I mean extending kindness and grace to ourselves in the midst of our human frailty and failings. As a Christian, as one who follows Jesus, 
who sees in Jesus the very face and the very heart of God. The concept of compassion does not begin with the ability of the human heart to produce compassion or extend it. Compassion has its origins in the fullness of God's character. That's what Psalm 103 is kind of getting at. Scripture states that it is Jesus who is the fullness of God. And so we find in the ministry of Jesus the fullness of compassion as well. The examples are abounding. One such example, maybe one of the more famous ones, is that great parable that we call the parable of the prodigal son. The man has two sons. The younger son wants his inheritance, wants nothing to do with home, uh, moves to a far-off place, squanders the wealth, finds himself in a situation that is completely terrible and unsustainable. He decides to go home, um, but he he has some uh, guilt and some shame around it. And Jesus says that when the son was returning home, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. What emotion did the father feel? Do you remember? What emotion did the father feel? He, he looks down the road. He sees his son far away. And Jesus says that the father had compassion for his son. Compassion the recognition of suffering and pain in another person. Compassion, the feeling of kindness for people who are in trouble and the desire to help. Compassion, recognizing the frailty and the flawed human condition and responding to it. How did it say it in Psalm 103? He knows our frailty what does the father do? Do you remember? He runs. He runs down the road. I wonder if he became out of breath. All that running and the excitement and the adrenaline and the compassion. And Jesus said that the father embraced his child and kissed him. The child hadn't said a word. Yet the father's filled with compassion. And when the child does speak up, He says, among other things, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son. I sometimes wonder what went through someone like Peter's mind when he heard this story from his rabbi. Did did Peter ever feel unworthy? Or what about Mary Magdalene? Did she ever feel unworthy having all those demons ruining her life for all those years? Did she feel unworthy? What about us? Do we feel unworthy? What makes a person worthy anyway? To be called a son, to be called a daughter. What makes a child worthy in the eyes of her mom and dad? Obedience? Achievement? Is it never making a terrible mistake? Is it being the prettiest or the fastest or the most successful? What makes someone worthy to receive the acceptance and goodness of God? As though it depends on us. 
Well, the father, Jesus said, the father said to his servants, hurry, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, prepare the fattened calf, let us eat and celebrate, because this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Is our theology solid enough to picture God seated at a banquet in celebration of us? Uh, There's a wise woman I know who when she settles her soul and enters into the presence of God's loving spirit, she says she can hear God say to her, I am so glad you came. I've been waiting for you. God loves you as you are, not as you should be. And yet God crowns your head with compassion as you are. God crowns your head with loyalty and faithfulness. Can we accept ourselves fully, insufficiencies, failings, and all? Because God does in Jesus Christ. God does not wait for us to overcome our failings. God runs to us while we are still a long way off. Can we do that for ourselves? If nothing about us changes, think about that. If nothing about you changed, not one thing, would God offer you kindness? Can we be brave enough to offer ourselves kindness? True compassion is found in God, and God's compassion for us is offered freely, not based on our measuring up, not based on our accomplishments. Self-compassion is not just good mental health practice. It is good theology. It is solid Christian practice to be kind to ourself, understanding with yourself, compassionate to yourself, to treat someone on this planet the way God treats them. Psalm 103 gives a pretty amazing list. God knows our frame and that we are made of dust. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is kind. God is slow to anger. God is rich in chesed, this faithful, unfailing love. We are told this not once, not twice, but three times. And these things, no, they're not deserved. They're not earned. Merited grace is not grace. Earned compassion is not compassion. They're given freely. In his book, Messy Spirituality, God's Annoying Love for Imperfect People, Writer uh, Mike, uh, Mark's his son, Mike Iaconelli starts by saying that after 45 years of following Jesus, his life was a mess. Not your typical uh, testimony, huh? He became so discouraged in life. In an interview uh, where he was promoting the book, Mike Iaconelli said that he read a book by Henry Nouwen, in the name of Jesus. Iaconelli was so moved by the book that he called Henry Nouwen up, asked him if he could hang out with him sometime. (laughs) And Nouwen said, sure, 
why don't you come spend a week with me? I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. At that time, Henry Nowen was a pastor at Larch Daybreak Community, a community of people with uh, severe intellectual disabilities. And it was there at Larch that Iaconelli says he learned about intimacy with God. But he did not learn it from Nowen. He was not... It was not the great teacher from Harvard, Yale, and Notre Dame who taught him intimacy with God. No, he said it was from a little man named John Bloss, a 40-year-old man with an intellectual disability that left him with a 100-word vocabulary. One time after a small group meeting, Iaconelli shared with the group, I think I'm too busy. I'm wiped out. I'm burned out. I'm not happy. After the session was over, this intellectually challenged man, John, walked right up to Iaconelli. Now, John did not have a typical sense of personal space. He was kind of right in Iaconelli's face. And John said to him, busy. Mike, was a, uh, Mike Iaconelli was a little taken back someone so close to him in his space, and he, he said uh, in response, well, yes, John, I mean, yeah, uh, I am. Iaconelli didn't expect much from John. It wasn't that Iaconelli didn't like John. He liked John very much. It was just that John had a hundred-word vocabulary. What could Mike learn from John? But there was John, right in Mike's face, and John said again, too busy. Iaconelli responds again, this time with a little more care in his words. Uh, yeah, John, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I'm, I'm too busy. And then John got even closer, and he said, why? And Iaconelli started to weep. He began crying. Yeconelli says, for the first time in my life, I realized why. John was the only one who had ever asked me that question. He wasn't afraid to ask me a question I didn't even want to ask myself. And the reason I was so busy is because I believed that if I kept busy, then God would love me. It was at that point that the grace of God became real to me. I began to realize that my busyness wasn't about following Jesus. I had this fear, this, this dream that I'd be out following Jesus with a whole group of people and Jesus would point at me. And I'd, I'd run up to him and Jesus would say, no, 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 not you. I meant the person behind you. I always had this sense that, you know, I, I didn't make the cut, that I didn't measure up. And then there's John Bloss, who taught me what the grace of God was all about. This grace that is extravagant and wild and dangerous and unpredictable and cannot be categorized. And I decided to begin this wild ride with God. 
God loves you as you are, not as you should be. There's not a person in this room or a person who can hear my voice who is as they should be. Brennan Manning used to say that when we die, it just might be that Jesus will ask us only one question. There you will stand before the throne of Jesus, and he will ask you, did you believe I loved you? And I have to admit that there are days when I think, well, I know you love the whole world, and I know you love my neighbor, because you tell me to. But me? I've thought about it. I've heard preachers preach about it, but believe it? There's just nothing that can be done to increase the love that God feels for you. Nothing. Nothing can be done that can increase the affections God feels for you, despite the messages that are out there. And in days like these, in the midst of a pandemic and in the middle of a a political climate that we're in, we're just the mention of a name can produce fear and anger. In the middle of racial tensions and injustice and in violence in these days, I have heard it said many times recently, God is in control. The sovereignty of God is a shelter for us. And this is true. To be mindful of God's sovereignty, that God is in control, an important thing, an important truth. But given the frailty of the human heart and the longings we have, let us hold fast to another quality of God. God is compassionate and gracious. Uh, Pastor Tim and I were talking the other day about a phenomenon we've experienced. It sometimes happens that when a person is asked to volunteer with the youth group, someone will respond by saying, well, I, I don't know the Bible very well. I'm not a theologian. And there may be all kinds of reasons for this response, and I'm sure there are places out there that want Bible experts serving their students. But what I have come to understand about young people, what I have come to understand about old people and middle-aged people, is that perhaps what we need more than experts in religious teaching is compassion and mercy and grace because nights can get long and the people we love can get hurt and we don't want that because we know what it's like to get hurt and they will get hurt too and we become scared because we're frail we're not as strong as we think we are this is what I have come to learn and so let me say this If you love Jesus and you have the guts to show compassion and mercy, then you will make an incredible difference 
on this planet for Jesus. Jesus loves you as you are, not as you should be. There's not a person on this planet who is as they should be. The truth is, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but it will happen. You're going to spill the juice. You're going to get too busy. Uh, We're going to wander away from home, and sometimes it's going to be far, far away. Brothers and sisters, when this happens, let us be reminded that we serve a God who does not treat us as our sins deserve. We serve a God who knows our frailty. We serve a master who knows every place in the human heart, all the broken, beautiful, and hurt places. And what God offers us in Jesus Christ is compassion and kindness. So let us do thusly. Would you pray with me? Jesus, my prayer is uh, short. I pray that you would teach us and help us to believe that you indeed love us. And I pray that in his name, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.